I don't know if it's something about our particular moment or like think pieces or, or like public intellectual conversation, but I feel like what we need is, is like a, a, a boilerplate caveat a la like the, do you know, the Glomar denial? Yeah. The Glomar denial is like the, the CIA, uh, oh, yes, yeah, yes, yes. We yes, can yes, neither yes, confirm yes. nor deny the existence yeah. of the information requested. Right. That, I think we need. Confirm nor deny that we have opinions. Right. No, I mean, uh, I, think, like, I think we need a Glomar denial that's like, you can just put almost like we really, what we need is like a, like when you say like Mirandize, you, like we need like a, mm. a wingding or like a single word you can just stamp at the beginning that's like, what follows is something I think. I am not you, and therefore you may think other things. Yeah. Also, right. what follows is not the only thing I think, but merely one of things that I have. Like that, we need something that just but, like covers all possible points but, of, of dispute that we can just kind of stamp yeah. at the beginning. You know, so you had suggested that one of the things we could do in this conversation is is, is that we could talk about all, all the ways in which I disagree with things you've said over the, <laughs> over the course of this podcast, <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I'd like to not be that much. Of a dick an hour and a half. But I will say one one disagreement I should I should probably just hash out here at the beginning is that uh, your your listeners, yeah. based on past discussions, presumably expect that I, along with Ryan Wilson, am like this um, sort of barrel-chested chieftain who, who, who's going to like storm in and defend them from marauders and pillaging. Uh, you know, when in fact I'm like a balding, overweight coward uh, who doesn't like to, you know, you're, you're get anybody you're physically, you're a physically imposing balding, overweight coward. I mean, you're like, yeah, you're, 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 you're like, you, 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 you cast, a, you know, an, an impressive uh, silhouette. Right. I, 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 yeah, I do, I do have a large shadow. <laughs> I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you all for listening, and thank you especially to those of you who've had a chance to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating, a review, uh, subscribe, or just you know recommend the show one-on-one to somebody you think might enjoy it. I appreciate it, and if you have chosen your friend wisely, then your friend will appreciate it too. <laughs> this is a really fun episode. This is just a really silly, knockdown, drag out, enjoyable, juicy, gossipy, argumentative poetry shop talk episode. One of the inspirations for this whole silly podcast was uh, for for a few years now. I've had you know semi regular. Meetings for a while it was in person, for a while it was Zoom with Alan Shapiro and Jonathan Farmer just to talk about poetry. We would do that every month or so. And that's part of what I had in mind in doing this podcast. So my guest today is Jonathan Farmer. He's uh, He is a poet, a critic, an editor. He's the author of That Peculiar Affirmative, a book of essays about poetry as well as the editor of At Length, a magazine that specializes in long poems, long stories, and other longish art forms. I will include links to all of his stuff. And this is a long conversation. I I compressed it some, but I didn't want to cut out any of the good stuff. So this is going to be the whole episode today. Let's go ahead and get to that right now. This is Jonathan Farmer. (laughs) 
this, so, so you wrote an essay for the millions called the way we talk about poetry is the problem. This just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good essay. And, you know, and, and uh, I should say I read it and, and had a couple of, of, you know, small notes on it before you published it, but I think it is, it is a good essay. Although, you know, there are, there are some, I think, perennial points of, of, you know, small disagreement between us. I, I think this article is, is part of an evolving series in which I um, get, get angry enough at what seems to me to be a refusal to acknowledge something really obvious and throw my diatribe out into the world, kind of minus like the diatribe parts. And, and then it's like, you know, just a pebble going into the ocean and, and, and nothing happens. So even, I mean, it's, all, it's, it's all a pebble in the ocean. It's all ignored. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but let's go through a little bit, just sort of what you, what, what your, your, your essay actually says. So this is from the way we talk about poetry is the problem in the millions. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who's tired of the way. Why, why am I reading this when it's in your voice and you're here? Why don't you just read the, from the beginning? Read the first couple paragraphs, if you will. Give me a second to pull it up because it didn't <laughs> actually occur to me. Your audience gets to listen to me typing now. Yeah, this, there, there's, a, there's a whole market for that on YouTube. <laughs> it, would, it would help if you were a hot girl. I <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who's tired of the ways we talk about poetry. Maybe I'm the only one who feels a pang of loneliness every time he looks at poetry Twitter. And then, because social media pushes my button so well, looks again and looks again. It feels that way, the loneliness, the kind I sometimes feel at parties, where lonely is so obviously the last thing I'm supposed to feel. In the grand scheme of things, hell, even in the ordinary scheme, this isn't a big deal. But I haven't had any luck in letting it go. And I'm not convinced that it's just me. And I'm not even convinced that a lot of what is happening is good for anyone. Though really, the awkward guy standing against the wall at a party complaining about everyone's supposedly unhealthy behavior is probably the last person you should listen to. So, grain of salt. And caveats. In many ways, the institutions of American poetry are better off than they've ever been. They're more inclusive along several important axes. There's more room for more styles and more tastes. And much of what is wrong today has always been wrong. Favoritism, shallowness, self-dealing, competition dressed up as virtue, flatterers dressed up as sages, coteries dressed up as the elect. None of that is new. But right now it just seems so loud. So you list sort of four points of where, where you offer short imperatives, uh, trying yeah. to, to, to sort of cor corrections to the way people talk about poetry. Right now, uh, these are the first one is praise less. The way we praise now, as you would say, is it's sweeping, emphatic, all authority. If this poem doesn't make you cry, you have no heart. The praise of poems most often begins with the conclusion: "This is great." Is everything fire emoji perfect? Fierce implies a consensus and rarely moves on from there. That that, that rings very true. There, there, there's an entire economy, a, a literal economy, now built on who loves the right things passionately enough, who, mm. who, who is ardent enough. So I guess specifically, so part, of, part of what we're talking about is that conversations about poetry publicly tend to be exclusively laudatory or, or affirming. Mm. And then that's compounded by the ever churning attention measurement machine, which is, mm -hmm. you know, our primary vehicle for communicating about mm -hmm. 
right. this stuff. And it, yeah. and it makes a it, it makes a celebrity out of somebody like William Logan just because he's an asshole. Uh, yeah. he, and I, I know other people see him otherwise, but like you know, he mostly just performs cheap shots. They're not he's not a particularly insightful reader, but like people are just so relieved. I think in some cases to hear something that cuts against it. Um, yeah, he's he's a, a salacious. I think I think it's not it's not just that he's mean. He's salacious. Like he he's got a yes. he's got a knack for mean one liners. I do think that he he. But they're not that good. They're not they're not they're not that good. No, he, he it reminds me a little bit of B- Bill Hader's whole spiel about doing being good at impressions, but really wanting to be an actor. And it feels like William Logan really wants to be a poet and really wants and like he does do some serious criticism he can be right. really wonderful when he talks yes. about poems he loves he also though can yes. be incredibly boring when he talks about when he like lab- belabors the historical circumstances of poems he, yes. he loves as well and then he's separately got this thing which is which is you know he 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 i'm going to talk about his review of franz right because he calls franz Wright's poems the hallmark cards of the damned he's got a knack for a certain kind of really nasty one-liner some of which are like really ad hominem and really un, unfair, but that is just that you can go get that there twice a year makes people excited. Yeah. About it. And, and it's, but like, it's, it's also just not that good a line. Like the, the, you know, Hallmark Runs of the Damned, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I like Franz Ray's poetry and that feels pretty accurate to me. No, no, I, I, but it's, it's just like, it's, it's, it's sort of like, it hits all the notes of a good joke, but it, it, it doesn't say anything that, uh, that penetrating or, or, or th- that adept. No, but, but I think like making mean one-liners in a poetry review is, is like cracking jokes in church. Like, like if he, yeah. like if he were to show up at a, like a friar's club roast, he would tank, he would bomb. Right. But yeah. in the, in the, the stale confines of a conversation about poetry, he's a, He's Don Rickles, you know. Right. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Because 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 we have have made this into a church that that's yeah. that's the context in, in, in which it gets received. So you you say something in this in this first section about about praise that I I caught on again when I was rereading it today. You say you know try try to describe the poems you admire in ways that allow a reader who doesn't see why someone else would experience them that way, even if your reader won't. won't which is you know something I, I think we, we've we've talked about it a number of times. It's come up on the podcast that, that there is a very difficult thing and a very worthwhile thing in criticism, which is simply once you have had a notable experience reading something, trying to convey that to the reader is worthwhile. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is how one might experience it, and it's how I experience it. It's what seems to have it has value for me, or has a a strong, a strong, you know, even in mathematical terms, an absolute value, whether I like it or not, and and that's worth worth com- yeah. communicating because you, maybe you'll have that experience too. And and also, there's just like there's just some anthropological interest in that, like you know, oh, oh look, there there's this human experience that I I don't have, but other people have, and I I, I can see it. As 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 opposed to these people just saying, you know, the I, I was reading this poem and then and then and then the Lord came down and kissed me. I'm like, well, I, I guess so. Um, <laughs> it didn't, he didn't kiss me. Yeah. You know, there, there's no, there's nothing I can do with just I I love this that you don't love. Uh, that's fine. You should love whatever you love. Right. But it, it's it's a it's a weird way to enter a discussion. Um, and, and I'm super skeptical of a lot of those claims. Like I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure plenty of people do love things and then not bother to explain how they love them. But I also think lots of people 
stamp emojis on things that they don't really have any particular response to. I think this is a point where you and I disagree, in part because I I just think, I I think the experience of of, of meaning is just so deeply social for most people Mm, Uh, that that, that, that what, what brings you into the conversation, what grants you entry, like you, you do experience, like, I, I don't think we read poems in isolation. I, I was listening to your conversation with Joanna earlier uh, and, and talking about the avant-garde. And, and you know, it, it, it seems to me with a lot of avant-garde art, you kind of have to experience it in, in, in the moment in which it's produced, because it does have this extraordinary moment within a social context of like, you know, people are doing this thing over and over and over again. And it's so tedious and so frustrating. And then somebody breaks that, and that's that's thrilling. But it's 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 only thrilling if, if you've been hearing the, the the tedium that precedes it for a long time. Uh, you know, if if what that thing breaks is already broken, there, there's no longer as much thrill for it. And I just think so much of so much of our experience of, of everything in life happens in a, in a in a social context. Yeah. And so what what? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just I'm thinking about like there are. Like my, my dad uh, and his wife saw Dune in the movie theater recently. And he said, oh, you've, you've got to th- see it in the big theater. He's like, that's unfortunately, that's, <laughs> I have small children. I'm not going to see anything in the movie <laughs> big theater unless it's, unless it's, you know, D- Dune, the, the Frozen sequel. But uh, the, <laughs> but, uh, but there, I mean, it's funny, like my, there, there are movies that are, and what he, what he meant, of course, is like the, the pictures are so big and beautiful and right. the sounds are so big and beautiful that you want to experience it that way. But there's another sense in which that I think is very familiar to people like, I saw the movie Prisoners, which was like, it was an above average thriller-ish movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Paul Dano and uh, the Wolverine guy, whatever his name, Hugh Jackman. And it's, and Terrence Howard. It, it was, I think, not a great movie. So fucking fun to see in the theater because it was a really loud, involved audience that had lots to say about what was happening. And like in, in that context, it is really, there's certain kinds of things that are really fun. I wouldn't want to see, uh, winter light in a big noisy theater where people were shouting at the screen. And in fact, I did see it. in one of my, you know, in, in Baltimore where a, a wise acre from my MFA class was, was making jokes about it. And I told him to shut the fuck up and get out of the house. Uh, but, but I think like, there, there are certain movies that you want to see in a, in a big vocal theater. And I think maybe that's true for certain kinds of poems where like Twitter is that loud vocal theater where you like, you can have fun, and you can get into the spirit with people. Yeah, and and I, I, you know, I don't I don't want to come off as being more kind of anti-absolutist than, than, than I am, but I, I think that's true to some extent for everything that I, you know we, we we encounter everything in in the context of you know our our, our needs and appetites uh, and our experiences of other people. I don't. I don't think there's necessarily as much cynicism as you think there is, I, I, or, or the things that you understand as cynicism, I understand as um, things that are happening below the level of consciousness um, and that are g- creating genuine pleasure. Not, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not convinced that there's a, there's really a whole lot of fake pleasure. They're, they're fake statements of, of pleasure, but I, I, I think. I don't think it's fake pleasure. I think they are fake statements of pleasure. And I do, I do tend to think it's sub like, I, it's like, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories, but I do believe in like mass incentives mm-hmm. that can create the net effect of a lot of people doing something in a particular way. Yeah. And, 
you know, I've, I've, I've said this to you before, uh, you know, I, I tend to assume that the experience of meaning is meaning. Like I, mm-hmm. uh, there's this common idea uh, that, uh, that, that a meaningful life is one in which you, 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 you give to others and you, you know, you pass on wisdom or kindness or, or, or love uh, or, or memories to, to another generation they pass on. And, and as, as a teacher, I, 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 I do take solace in that when I'm, when I'm not convinced that I'm just fucking everything up as a teacher. Um, but there's, there's a way in which I, if I look too, too closely at that, that feels sort of like a pyramid scheme. Uh, <laughs> Man, hands on misery to me. Or, 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 or meaning, but the meaning is always based on there being another generation. Eventually there won't be another generation. And that, that right, last generation, yeah. we're, we're just fucked. Um, glad, glad we could provide meaning to everybody else. Yeah, like it, does, it makes me fucking crazy when people say like, well, for parents, your children are the meaning of your life. I was like, well, that doesn't work very well. That's like, that's like the problem with capitalism. It was like, well, business needs to expand every year. Like, you see where this ends, right? Like, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I, 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 I tend to think anything that let, lets us live with, with a, a sense of um, purpose and a, a, a sense of being in, involved in, in the passage of time in a way that's more than accidental is, is consequential. All, right. all by itself, and 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 I and I, I don't take it as a given. I, I don't think anybody. Well, some people just automatically have that, but I, I I don't think humanity writ large just gets that automatically. I mean, I also tend to think that like there are like the people who say that it's better to it's better for you and it's better for society if you are religious. I think like those people may very well be right about the effects it has on being a person. They just, I don't think are right about the existence of God. So I think like there are things that, yeah, I think like there, there are things we look for that we may need, even if those things aren't there to be found or we can, you know, or you find them in the wrong places or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, is it Pascal's wager? You know, yeah. it, 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 it's, it makes perfect sense, except that like that doesn't allow you to achieve belief uh, if you don't already believe. Yeah. So you, you're actually suggesting to me the possibility of a, of a new category or not a new, but like a newly defined category of performance art. Like, so, so no, like, like, you know, something that, that, that like, so spoken word or slam poetry, it needs the performance in the same way that sing songs do, or, 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 you know, rap does not to say there's nothing there without the performance, but the performance is an, is is a significant component of the poem itself. But I, I, I mean, Yes, but mostly no. Um, really? Well, in, in that in that I don't think I don't think that's unique to any art form. I don't think there's anything new about that. I, I think that's what we. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think that's new at all. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm using that to to introduce the new category. Okay, help me out. What's the new category? So I haven't gotten there yet. So so yeah. So <laughs> no, no. Here, I'm saying, like I'm setting up. I'm setting up like a, a comparison. So okay. So I'm, I'm I'm here. Which is you know you could say like well on a certain level there's always some you're always receiving it in some venue or some context and there's always like well there's light in the room and there's words in the page but like to some extent there is a meaningful formal difference not a difference in quality or ultimate value but a formal difference between poetry that is that the the experience of which chiefly is conveyed through reading on the page or reading aloud you know by anybody's voice and you know more or less anybody's voice and poetry that sort of really does need this particular performer you wouldn't be excited to go 
read a book of poems by Kendrick Lamar in the way that you would be to see him perform live. I mean, like the, that particular performance is significant. Uh, um, not, you know, not to return for the umpteenth time to Amanda Gorman, but like you're kidding yourself if you think that her words on the page are equivalent to, you know, produce the equivalent effect to her words performed in that moment by her in that, you know, context. So, I mean, I'm not even proposing this as my own suggestion, like spoken word poets will say, oh, but the performance is so important. That's fine. I'm not, not, you know, I'm not disputing that. But I guess what I'm suggesting is that maybe poems proliferated or like viral poems, Twitter poems, maybe there or Instagram poems, that is actually a new, that is another context. That's another kind of performance poem in that like, in the same sense that like, if you, if you get to be there in the room while the person performs it, the poem is going to hit you hard in a way that if you just look at it cold on the page by yourself, it's not, or it's not going to as much. I think similarly, it, it may be a fair observation to say that there are poems that if you read them in the heat of a viral Twitter moment in that context with lots of people tagging it and putting hearts on it and saying, oh, you have to read this in that moment, it, it might actually be a different experience than if you collect it in a book and you look at it cold six months later on its own. Yes. But if, if that's, if that's new, it's only new because social media takes it to a different degree. Like I, I, again, like I just don't think any of this is, well, I'm not saying performance is new. I'm just saying like, that we may no, be, no, no, like, I, I, rather, we I, it may be unfair to say to a poem that like an insta poem like Rupi Kaur like it may be unfair to say we'll but, look at the words this, and that's but, a shitty poem rather than like this, it, that's actually a performance venue. But the 16th century, you know, uh, English court where they're passing around a poem by hand is is a version of that. The the idea of um, value being not only defined but experienced. Um, based on um, our experience of others and our, 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 our experience of what, what others tell us is, is valuable. Uh, I don't think that's new. I, I, I agree that we have new technologies that may uh, have accelerated it to, to a, a degree that creates something new. But again, like I, I don't think the, the viral poem on Twitter is different except in degree from the, 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 the coterie poem of the 16th century that got uh, passed on to the most courtiers. Sure. I guess whether it's intended or not, whether it's part of the design or not, I think that, that it, what is true is that there are, there are works of art that more or less depend on context and venue. Mm. There's some that like, I think, I think like, you know, the uh, ancient Greece, Greek statues were like painted lots of colors in a way that like, honestly right. may not have been that great. I mean, maybe at the time in context, right. it was sort of cool, but like, I'm kind of glad mm. that the paint wore away and we just have the naked, yeah. you know, white statues now, but th- those are, you know, it, it, I'm sure there is a certain effect that you would have if you were seeing the David when everybody, when it was immediate, you know, it first put out in the, sure. in the, the plaza in Florence and everybody was, was like literally putting notes on it saying how much they loved. It. I'm sure there would have been a special power to it in that moment. I'm sure seeing the pyramids when they were first built would have been powerful in a certain way, but also they may be a little less dependent on venue to, to like produce their effect than 
a Rupi Kaur poem or maybe a viral, you know, Twitter poem or like, or, or a spoken word. Like, I think there are, there's a more, you know, in this, and there are certainly like Thomas Wyatt, if you got, if you got handed a Thomas Wyatt poem, you're like, oh shit, this is about Anne Boleyn. Like this, that would be pretty fucking cool in the yeah. moment. But also that poem's still pretty fucking good now. And, and like, it's sure. good, it's pretty good cold on a page. Whereas like certain kinds of poems are a little bit more like fucking McDonald's fries. Like they're not, no, they're not as good the next day, you know, like <laughs> you need, like you need, and they're great in the moment. They're great in that context, you know, uh, but like there is, a, I think it may I be a matter no of degree, but like right I think now. that's a meaningful distinction. I, 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 I think it's a meaningful spectrum. Um, sure. Yeah. But it's like twi- yeah, Twitter I mean, is maybe I, one of those venues, like Twitter, Twitter adds a certain frisson, you know, frisson or, you know, excitement in the moment that, that maybe does make maybe, so maybe like when people hit like on a stupid ass poem on Twitter, maybe it's actually unfair to say it's a stupid ass poem. Maybe it is a cool experience in the moment, but if you just took the raw words of the poem and the line breaks and put them on a page later, it would be missing a significant element of what makes it cool. Yeah. Or, or, or even a book of Bob Dylan lyrics. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I I think one thing that's come home to me in listening to this podcast, uh, what an asshole your friends. (laughs) No, I knew that from the beginning. Oh my God. Really? You thought you were covering for that? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is that, is that an important part of the way you've been moving through the world? No, no. uh, What, I, I think you're you're very interested in you know the, there's there's kind of the classic debate about dictionaries whether they should be uh, descriptive or prescriptive yeah. and and I think you're uh, <laughs> what a prick I'm coming on your show please yeah, no, you come on, uh, no, but like um, you know I, I I think you lean much more towards a, a, a kind of prescriptive thing you you want to figure out the right the right use of language. You want to figure out where the proper boundaries of, of a word are. Uh, and, and, and I think I tend to default towards a more descriptive th- orientation. Yeah. That uh, I, I just don't think there are bright, clear lines. And I, I, I think um, the, these things are fuzzy. And so I think I, I, I don't really, I, I, I buy what you're describing as a spectrum. I don't buy it as something we can turn into categories. I, I think we can say that different works of art participate in this at different moments to greater and lesser degrees. Like that's one of the thousands of axes on which uh, any kind of human endeavor is, is operating and being received. Um, but, but I, I don't think there's a bright, clear category for this. Yeah. I, I mean, really, if anything, I'm offering a, I'm trying at least to offer a, uh, an, a an apology for, Twitter viral Twitter poems by saying no, I mean like by saying because I think like people make fun of it, but but you had to be there is a legitimate objection, right? Like there are yeah. things that are only funny when you were there, and there and I think like Twitter it may be a there, you know, you had to be there, and and like it was cool, and like people who love Kate Bear or whatever, you know, whatever viral sensation, like maybe you did have to be there, and there is a thing, and with with Thomas Wyatt with Shakespeare, like yeah, definitely like seeing. Uh, and we, you know, we've talked about how like there is a, there's also just like a significant difference in the way, like our vision is way better and our hearing is way worse than it was hundreds of years mm. ago for, for a variety of reasons. So like just even how you experience something like a play in person would be really radically different, but yeah, like to get to see, uh, you know, the debut of Faustus in, 
in that moment with all of the context, like that would have been really cool. But also Faustus holds up pretty fucking well, you know? Right. And I, I think like, but there are other things where you really had to be like, I think by contrast, like Ben Johnson's masks, eh, they right. don't hold up quite as well. Like they're very right. well made and he's a fucking genius. And he wrote some poems I absolutely love, but right. the masks, you really had to be there. And I think again, sure. like it's a spectrum. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, right. it's degree, not kind, but like degree can matter dispositively, you know, it can matter a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I'm, I, I think I'm a little more skeptical than you are of times winnowing as being um, more significant than, than, than the experience in the moment. I, I think something that generates meaning in a moment is just as valuable as something that generates meaning 400 years later. Totally, totally. And fresh produce okay. is, is like a wonderful thing. <laughs> no, it is like fresh produce is wonderful. And, it, and like, I love, like we were passing by like my daughter and I were uh, my two daughters and I were walking on a walk around the neighborhood and there's a little community food box and like next to the graveyard, there's a graveyard in the neighborhood, which we always visit because my daughters are as morbid as I am, but next to the graveyard, there's a little community food box and Josie's, you know, she's a new reader and she said, community food box. Yeah. I would never eat something from a community food because there's just seeing like sitting out here in the in the cold there's a there's just so a you, box you, of food. You, you you've also passed on not only your, your morbidity but your your snobbery <laughs> well i mean i think the, what, what was putting her off was not the community part it was the box like just sitting out in the, in the you know, and, and so i had like i had to introduce like oh well you realize you you don't realize because you don't you you just eat food people put put, put in front of you like some food is perishable and some but like the truth is of course as you're, like all food is perishable but some is perishable enough that you categorize it as perishable and I think like that may be true of art as well. And the same way, like, I totally love, like, I love, you know, in the moment, good sketch comedy, and that doesn't age very mm -hmm. well, you know, right. but it absolutely has value. I just think that there are, and, and I, it's funny that you bring up the prescriptive and descriptive uh, distinction. I really think of myself as a descriptivist. I just think a lot of people are lying or they're lying to themselves. <laughs> right. I think like there's a difference between saying like when people, you know, like, well, what do people really enjoy and what's, what's I think that the, the problem is that people are not being honest either with themselves or with others about their actual experience and poetry. Uh, I mean, poetry is an enormous category. We're going to talk later about the problems of defining poetry, but <laughs> there is a kind of poetry and it tends to be the poetry I'm, I'm most interested most of, in most of the time that has as one of its concerns, a very low level of perishability like it, like mm. an endurance is is one of the virtues that a certain kind of poetry tends to invest in and it's i find it to be a very in in, in interesting and rich challenge whether or not people live up to it and to whatever degree to which people live up to it so i how sorry go ahead how do you how do you invest in that like i i'm well, I think, I mean, again, I think it's a matter of degree and it's and like, there are, there are certain things you can never, you know, like the library of Alexander, like right, putting your poem, right. poem on, you know, fireproof <laughs> paper would be like, well, that'd be a nice step. But when I was in grad school, all the, all the fiction writers who, you know, unlike the, the aspiring poets believe that they were doing something of consequence, yeah. they would all have a printed copy of their manuscript that they would keep in the refrigerator 
Um, because apparently when a house burns, the refrigerator is the least likely thing to, you know, it's so, the insulation is so. Okay. so that's a, like a bizarre coincidence because, because <laughs> when a house burns, the unpublished manuscript of your novel is, is, is typically the least important thing to burn. Uh, <laughs> contrast to the food that you might've been keeping on your fridge. And stuff. Uh, all right. So I want to, I don't want to totally lose track of your, the, um, your, your essay. So I, I did want to ask you quickly for an, oh, sorry, it's like yet another digression. Um, it, before you talk about, before you sort of urge people to describe their experience in, in reading something rather than just giving it a, a thumbs up, mm -hmm. you, you have this little off, it's an offhand line. And I think I, I, I went right past it the first couple of times I read it, but mm -hmm. show don't tell isn't mm -hmm. good advice for writing poems, but it's almost always apt for sharing what you love. And that's your way of saying like, so, so when you're writing your response to a poem, show don't tell, but I just wanted to ask. I know that show don't tell has recently become very unfashionable. It's, it's a super, mm -hmm. super cliched writing advice. It's sort of one of those things that everybody knows you hear mm -hmm. over and over again in workshops and it has limitations obviously, but it also has become recently out of vogue. Is it bad advice? Like, is that not good advice in some, like, is there not that, I mean, to the extent to which any it, three words can be good advice for writing, like, is that, no, that's, those are like, that's not bad. That's not bad bang for your buck. It's a, it's, it's a shortcut, like, uh, write what you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, uh, the, the, the real advice that, that um, seems useful to me is, is know what you write, you know, uh, and, mm. and that knowledge may, may not uh, precede the writing, but, you know, you, 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 you should uh, seek understanding. Uh, of, of some form or another. Uh, yeah, show, show don't tell, and this this probably leads us into the next discussion, but show don't tell precludes all kinds of interesting poetry. Um, uh, as I was getting rid of the, ready for this conversation, you know, and thinking about definitions of poetry, I, I, I looked up um, the George Herbert poem, Jordan One, uh, and it's, it's a fantastic poem. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a didactic poem. Uh, but it, it, it's it's absolutely telling, and 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 the metaphors are delightful. But they're uh, perhaps ironically they're 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 decorative. Uh, mm. it, this is this is a point. Uh, who says that fictions only and false hair become a verse? Is there no truth? Is there in truth no beauty? Is all good structure in a winding stair? May no lines pass except they do their duty, not to a true but painted chair. There, there are metaphors there, but that that is a poem that is telling. Uh, it, it, it's a poem that's making a case. It's making it through rhetorical questions, and it's 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 delightful. Uh, and and so any advice that says don't do that is is insufficient. And and it's 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 putting up a wall where there shouldn't be one. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think the the least the least worthwhile part of that advice is the don't part. Like yeah. consider showing would be like a, le yeah. a less catchy, but more accurate yeah. way to like, <laughs> show showing, showing. Great, you know, showing can <laughs> yeah. be wonderful. Yeah. Have you considered showing? Yeah. Right. Sometimes show, it's like the, what's the, the second thesis from the, the myth of Sisyphus is like, consider, consider suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably also not bad advice for most yeah. folks. Have you, have, you, have you tried suicide? Yeah. <laughs> just, just think about it. All right. So, so then the second, your second uh, imperative is stop defining poetry. Yeah. Uh, and you, you give an example, you give three examples, uh, or we actually mm -hmm. give more than three, but you give three recent examples of, of mm -hmm. prominent poets defining poetry. You have uh, Matthew Zapruder says, unlike other forms of writing, poetry takes as its primary task to insist and to depend upon and celebrate the troubled relation of the word 
to what it represents. And then you have Craig Morgan Teicher saying, poems probe the unknown, beginning on firmer ground and speaking until they have expressed the otherwise inexpressible, something sayable only in those words in that poem. And then you have Kava Akbar saying, poetry is a spiritual technology, which he's, he's recycled that one, I think, at least once. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think the first time I, I heard that was, was, was you uh, complaining about it. Um, so, you know, credit to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to, glad to pass along uh, my, yes. my irritants to the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so so th- you, I think, rightly identify these as sort of obnoxious instances of people defining poetry. As I read this and reread it, and then you, you've, you have called, you've taken me to task a couple of times for, for defining poetry or, or talking about, defi- you know, poetry, defining poetry, mm-hmm. coming near to defining poetry. And I think the, I, I think the, the, there's a, I think, I think I draw a distinction between different ways of defining poetry. And this is maybe, this is maybe the, well, ha- get, has to do with that prescriptive descriptive divide. Like, on the descriptive level, when it comes to like what people are actually going to say and call poetry, what like I think it's nonsensical to say they ought to say this. They ought to say I think people are going to call poetry what they're going to call poetry, and that's going to be more and less accurate and more and less inclusive. And people are going to like I'm, I have no interest in saying like across the board people ought to be saying this is poetry and they ought not to be saying that's poetry. That's a nonsensical exercise. What I do think can be useful though, in the same way that, that Socrates will say things like. Hey, so what do you think? What do you think is justice? And then you ruin everyone's day. I like to ruin everyone's day occasionally by saying, like, well, it seems like there's this thing that's in some, maybe it's not in all poems, but it's but like there's a thing worth sniffing out here that feels like it has to do with what is poetry. Now, I don't ever feel like I want to conclude that by saying, and therefore you should never use the word poetry in this context. You should only use it in this context. But I do think it's a it can be a worthwhile exercise for for kind of working out a, a way to think about poetry that can be valuable. Like to me, that is a useful exercise. That's very different from what these guys are doing. What I think these guys are doing, the uh, 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 poetry takes as a primary task to insist and depend upon and celebrate the troubled relation of the word to that it represents. Poetry probe, poems probe the unknown. Poetry is a spiritual technology. I think Matthew Zapruder and Craig Morgan Teicher and Kava Akbar, when they're saying this, are effectively Paul Giamatti in Sideways defining Pinot Noir. I think they are actually describing themselves. I think that's what, like, they're 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 they are mystifying in order to create a mystique for themselves. I don't think that what they're doing actually has anything to do with helping anyone think in a new way about poetry. Yeah, I'll, you're, you're, you know, I'm just I'll, seeing I'll, in your expression like you're realizing how much trouble you're getting into by becoming on this podcast. Well, yeah, well, no, I knew, I knew that going in, um, and, and um, what, what what I'm processing now. It, is among other things the fact that I actually know a little bit about a couple of these people uh, and and they've they've been lovely to me and and so there, there's that layer as well but I, but I I do at the same time find this infuriating and you know I I don't actually think this is unique to these three I, I picked these three because I, I I've seen them uh, in prominent places and because these are people who are influential in various ways you know and they're they're people who are worth disagreeing with in in, in a sense but it it just it 
you know, again, like the, the, the through line for me about uh, in all this is, is, is humility, or, or at least the, the, my cudgel is humility. My, my, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to beat you over the head with the fact that you're, you're insufficiently humble. Yeah, I'm going to humbly uh, concuss you. But like, you know, one of the things in, in the Zapruder book, so I, I, I don't know Zapruder, so I'll, I'll be a jerk to him. Um, but it, it's, it's also the book that I find most frustrating or among these. Um, I, I just... I read these definitions and they proliferate throughout the book. And then, and then he'll give examples of poems that to me in no way seem to, to substantiate his definition. Like he, he quotes from leaves of grass at great length. And I'm like, how you, you, you really think this person is, is not trying to make a case about the world and, and, and like, you know, at least is invested in the, like the case about the world that they're making uh, as they are in, you know, whatever troubling the language, which, which is just such a contemporary idea anyways. I mean, but um, so they're, they're, they're fantastic. The, you know, the, the, some of these definitions are just fantastically ahistorical. And, and just, just to clarify, because I think the mic lost it, you were saying they're fantastically oh. ahistorical. Ahistorical. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I wish everybody who, who who wanted to propagate one of the these definitions would, would would say, okay, so here are these poems that don't seem to accord with my definition, and I don't think they're poems for this reason, or um, you know, I, I do think they're poems, but I, I think uh, we're misreading them, and, and you know, I mean, in some of these cases, the poets say very explicitly what they think they're doing. Pope's definition of of wit in an essay on criticism is what I'll have said before, but never so well expressed, something yeah. along those lines. Um, you know, the, the, the Herbert poem, I, I was just going like, these people say what they think they're doing. And, and you, you know, you could go back and, and, and you know, wave your, 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 your 21st century magic wand and say, aha, uh, they were deluded. Uh, it, it wasn't until um, the advent of modernism that we, we came to understand what these people were actually doing. But that seems like bullshit to me. And there's just so little humility in this. Like, uh, the, you know, I, I, I really, I, I like Bert's approach to it, which is, um, it's a, it, there's a series of traditions. Um, you know, I, I, I wish sometimes we could all get together, uh, and just say, okay, what can we, can we go back to the point where, where, where we can all agree? What's, what's, what's the thing we can all agree on? You know, can, can, can we, can we wind this back far, you know, like do this kind of Descartes kind of thing where yeah. is, is there some, so, some kind of basic truth that we can, we can agree on. That's the, the, and, and then we'll build. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. I mean, that's what he means when he says mere Christianity is, is he means the Christianity that all Christians agree on, like the simplest version. Oh, that's, that's where the title comes from, as he's saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is yeah, mere, mere poetry uh, as a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that there, there are probably like three ways of defining poetry that are maybe have some use. One being purely descriptive, just like how do people use the word poetry? Another being mm-hmm. kind of historical or etymological, like, well, here's where the word comes from. Here's how it came to be used to you know, define, describe these things. And again, the third, I think is a sort of a thought, like a thought experiment, an exercise. And, and like, I, maybe that's a difference. Like I, I find that more useful than you do. But I mean, part of my question for these three guys would be, so why are you defining poetry? Like not even like, is your definition good? Like, what are you bothering to do here? And it seems to me, right. again, like what they are bothering to do is to is to put on a cape and throw a smoke bomb. You know, I think like that's what they're, that's really what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it, and it, you know, it, it feels um, it, in every case, like they're flattering their audience. Uh, maybe not consciously, but they're, they're, they're flattering their audience. It's, it's um, oh, I, th- I think they're, they're also. I, th- I think they're also deliberately creating 
an air of importance about themselves because I think plenty of the people sure, like, sure. to the extent to which these are these are texts for beginners or amateurs like that I think I think there's a there's an extent or like or for NPR interviews um on you know that these are definitions that are meant to make people who don't really encounter poetry much but have a kind of an open mind say like wow that guy sounds really smart but that, that I mean that's that that's the other side of the the coin of flattery like the, 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 those things go go hand in hand yeah, um so. the thing I don't understand about your approach is why not just say um the poetry that interests me does this or uh the poems that are fashionable right now do this. Like, what? Why you like? If if you know that this definition is going to leave out things that are obviously poems for most people, why why not just say? Why not name it in in, in terms that seem to me to be more accurate? Why not say uh, the poems that that um, that I keep going back to, or or or, or the poems that. Uh, engage with the part of this tradition that's that, that's most important to me. Yeah, I guess it because I I because I have some abiding interest in abstract concepts. I think is I because I, I like ideas. So like I, my Dave Smith, uh, uh, I, who, whom I've uh, complained about plenty, said said a thing that I thought was pretty interesting in in a workshop once. He he said that he referred to prose as cobbled speech. Now, I think there is a there's a particular sense that that remark conveys that is really interesting. So part of what you do when you cobble a road is you you take stones that will fill the gap that needs to be fi- excuse me filled, and they can kind of be of whatever color, and they could almost be of whatever texture, and there could be plenty of other things happening with that stone. But what matters is that it needs to fill that gap. And so part of the suggestion there is that when we when we write prose, we are any given word, any given sound, any given string of rhythm or whatever could produce a certain effect, could do any number of different things. Words have multiple meanings, but to the extent to which what you're writing is prose, you were sort of taking each component and using it to do only one thing. And that's part of what makes prose especially translatable. Now, obviously there are a thousand examples of prose that are more doing more than just that. And a thousand examples of poems that are doing less than that. You know, that's why, as Brown says, po- uh, poetry should be at least as good as prose. However, I still find that to be a kind of a provocative, interesting remark because it made me think about the difference between poetry and prose in a slightly new way. So I think that's the way, that's why I think it's still useful to say like, what is sort of like, not, again, not to say anybody should then change the way he talks about it, but just to think about the idea as an idea. I mean, I think it's sort of like there are there are plenty of words that have lost a lot of their potency by way of commercial language or vulgar language or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they can't be considered in terms of maybe having a slightly more refined yeah, know, but even concept behind them. It seems to me like you just end up saying things that are untrue. Like... Let me go back to the the the, the bird definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, the name for a complicated history. Uh, somewhere else, I don't think I quite. She says, you know, something about it's it's, it's a it's a series of traditions or something. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that's the historical or etymological answer, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so, fine. But the, yeah, that's but, fine. but yeah, so if you know, he, here's my assumption about poetry in English that that uh, is is based on no no facts and no knowledge. Um, there's a there's a period of time where I think most people who talked about poetry probably had a pretty clear understanding that they were talking about um, uh, language 
that was um, organized by some sort of sonic principle, some, some sort of sonic pattern. And then people make things that are kind of in response to that or branching off from that. Uh, and and it, it, it gets harder. And then, and then people make things that branch off from that and that are in response to that. And so, so eventually, you know, it, it, it's this tree with millions of branches. Um, but, I, you know, unless you're just going to go back at some point and draw a line, like, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any place where you can like go back and find, you know, poems, uh, like a, a version of poetry that uh, was only, what was the thing you were talking about in the episode recently that, that um, changes its, its position, you know, like for, for new allegiances was the, the Stephen yeah, Dunn. There, there, yeah. yeah. There, there were, there were, there were plenty of poems that, that didn't form new allegiances. Like there's just, there, there's no place where you can cut a sample in the tree and find that. I don't think. Um, yeah. I mean, well, and, he, and to, be, to be fair to him, I think he was even, he was saying that tends to be necessary for it to be good. Not even, mm-hmm. you know, right. though, though, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think that when Frost says poetry is what gets lost in translation, that's certainly not true to, you know, the, you can, it's easy to falsify, you know, to, to, to produce some falsifying examples. It's still a useful utterance. Same, same with Auden saying poetry is memorable speech. It's like, again, that's, that's too narrow. It's not narrow enough. That's in, inaccurate. There's certainly here, here's some poetry that nobody can fucking memorize. Like, sure. Fine. But it, I find it to be a useful utterance. I think even if I'm not as epigrammatic or memorable or, or you know, smart <laughs> as these guys, I think I find it to be a useful exercise to sort of talk through how one might think about poetry in a particular way. And I tend to think that, that really there, there's a, what it really finally has to do with is, is something like a, a, an, an unseverable link between form and content. Uh, and, and again, like you could, I'm sure, you know, uh, there are there are counter you know counter examples to, to that definition. I still find it to be sort of useful to to have that as a way of thinking about it in one's head. It's, it's interesting. Like Adam Kirsch, early early on, he I think maybe in the very first episode, I, I talked about his essay and I a really smart essay, terrific poet, terrific guy. I actually would love to get him on the show at some point. But toward the end of that essay, one of the things he said was, "Hey, you know, instead of saying that." that insta poetry isn't poetry what we should do is we should say we should call that poetry and then you know what we might think of as serious or literary poetry we should call that art poetry and i said well that's nonsensical we're just going to keep calling it poetry let's just keep calling it poetry and understand that like some of it is this and some of it is that and and you objected to that whereas i actually found to, to my mind he was actually being prescriptivist because he was saying here's what you should do Whereas I, I, to me, like I'm, okay. I'm less interested in saying, here's what you should do than in saying like, is there a new way to think about this? Is there a new way to think? Like if you, I don't really want to tell anyone to say, don't call this poetry or call this poetry plus, or, you know, poetry, you know, premium poetry. What, like, I think that's a not <laughs> like, that's a silly exercise, but if you want to say like, yeah. well, what is it that really makes this different? Like, why do we, why do we maybe occasionally cringe when something gets called poetry what is it that we're cringing at? like to me that's an interesting question yes okay so, so that's that's right so uh, i have a couple of thoughts what one is you you'd said being we, we, we should have some sort of uh, i think you said wing ding that you know we can just preface remarks with yeah, say, yeah, oh, yeah. you know uh, like I, I, I 
maybe maybe you could get one of those for for all these definitions of poetry. So I, I I know I'm actually not defining poetry, but here's what I think poetry is. Sure, uh, yeah, like, uh, like let that stand, let that go forward. That like whenever I say yeah. something, I'm I mean as I've said, like I'm usually an idiot, and it's probably provisional, and I'll probably disagree right. with myself tomorrow. But like I think it's worth thinking <laughs> right. about, you know. And and you know we we. Uh, I was going to say, we all know you're an idiot, but we, we don't. Um, uh, and who's, who's really the idiot since you're still listening? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, these are, these are, oftentimes these are people who, who have influence. And these, these are people who are, like, defining what, what gets in and what gets left out. Um, somebody read this article and said that, you know, I was longing for gatekeeping. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm, but like, it, it seems to me that these definitions turn into forms of gatekeeping. Part of the, the pleasure of writing for me uh, and, and part of the pleasure sometimes of reading as well is the, the, the opportunity to, to get things right, to, to combine uh, a sense of, you know, what, what for me, based on, you know, my, pulse and my experiences uh, feels right sonically uh, with what feels right uh, in terms of a statement about the world to, to, to have to combine these different kinds of rightness to bring those together and it it, it irks me to, to, to have somebody say well that's it's not really what poetry is I read you know many years ago an interview with Robert Pinsky where he, he talked about uh, for him one of the things that poets should do, and I, I don't even like that as a, as a category, but, but the people who write poetry uh, should, um, should try and find things that people assume aren't poetic and, and, and make poems out of them. Maybe uh, I, I like that idea, uh, but even more so, it took me so long to realize that I should be writing about the things that I'm interested in. Oh yeah. Yeah. That yeah, like, definitely took me a long time to figure out. Yeah. But like, why, why not just tell everybody like, Hey, here's this thing that, poems can do that I like uh, or that's interesting to me, but that's not what all poems do. Uh, there are all kinds of other things that are poems too. Like it, it just seems like a truer statement to me. Uh, it, it's, it's the, when I, when I pitched this article, uh, I, I said it was my, my attempt to define the way we talk about poems in a way that was simultaneously more rigorous and more inclusive. And I, I stand by that. Like I, I, I think, I think that w the things that I'm talking about here, including defining poetry uh, in ways that leaves things out, are simultaneously lacking in rigor. They're they're fundamentally untrue, uh, and they're closing the door to people. They're, they're they're saying nope that 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 thing that you that you like or that you value or that you're curious about that's that's not poetry. Um, and what frustrates me even more is that oftentimes what is said is not, that's not poetry. What is said is that this is poetry and there's not even a gesture towards this other thing. The, there's a poet and critic and scholar who, who I really admire named uh, Robert Archambault. Mm -hmm. I may be mangling his last name. When, when conversations about greatness or goodness uh, come up, his response is always uh, good for what? Um, and, and so I, I think if what we're saying, it, you know, I, I think there's in the most rigorous conversation about quality, uh, there need to be a, a couple of steps. And I, I think you, you've said something that's a fact. One is um, 
what is this thing trying to do? And, and, and then how well does it do the thing that it's trying to do? Yeah. But I, I, I think if you can accurately articulate what, what the poem is supposedly doing and, and make a strong case that it's not doing that or that what it's supposedly doing doesn't do good in, in the way that it says it does, uh, I, I think that's useful. And I, I still don't see the value of, of defining poetry in a way that leaves out poems. I, I, I don't see any, any reason not to just be more accurate, not to just say the, the poems that interest me or the poems um, that are fashionable today or uh, the, the, the poems of the avant-garde, the poems of the pseudo-avant-garde. You know, like, uh, wh- why not just add three more words? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think sometimes because it's more memorable. I mean, I think I think that like that there are a lot of there are a lot of maxims and adages that are but what, like. But why be memorably wrong? Like, well, no, but I think I think there's there's a, there are different kinds of. I mean, it's almost true for like any wisdom statement, as you know, Stephen Campa, you know, pointed out in print somewhere that absence makes the heart grow fonder. There's truth to that. There's also truth to you know out of sight, out of mind. But they directly contradict yeah. each other, and I think like. Mm-hmm. That they directly contradict each other doesn't mean that they don't both have truth in them. Doesn't mean that they, they would be better if you if you elaborated on them. So I mean, in the same way, that, like when I say pronunciation also, doesn't matter. Also, like, that, I don't also mean that to, in a total way. But what I'm getting at something when I say that part and part of I think also, I think the more counterintuitive or contrarian the adage, the more valuable it is, despite its inaccuracy, because it is. Yeah, but not, yeah, not, sorry, go but ahead. None, none, none of these definitions of poetry are counterintuitive or contrarian, uh, and. And there, there, there's a very good reason you, as a person who cares about ideas, is not going to stitch absence uh, makes the, the heart grow fonder on, on any of your throw pillows. Uh, it's not just because you don't like crocheted throw pillows. Uh, it, it's because it bugs you that it's it, it's oversimplified. No, 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 actually, it doesn't. It doesn't bug me that it's oversimplified. Oh. <laughs> I just don't need to stitch it onto a pillow because I because I don't I haven't forgotten. I'm not going to forget it. It's not like it's not it's not, it's not, it's not especially important to me, you know. And you have enough crocheted throw pillows. Yeah, as it oh, is. God, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other question. <laughs> there, there's a Philip Philip Dick has this theory of kipple, which is just like like uh, useless stuff that just sort of his his he he has like a physical law that it it quietly accumulates in any open space. And I think like when you have kids, like you definitely do, just kipple proliferates in your house, and you're like, where the fuck? Whoever wanted this thing? <laughs> but I feel, I mean, so I think like the, the and, and we can we can move on after this because I don't. I think there's a certain point at which we we will we will probably just disagree. But but I think like part of what was helpful to me in hearing some arguments about what is poetry when I was say in college was that there was a at the university I was at a prevailing sense of poetry, a prevailing style of poetry, the implicit goal of which effectively was basically to confuse the reader. And I think yeah, like there, right. that's, you know, so, so there's a point at which I think it's hard to say this is good and this is bad without also saying, well, this isn't bad because it's trying to do something and failing. It's bad because what it's trying to do sucks. And like, yeah. that's not really a worthwhile thing to do. Right. And you can call it poetry, but like at a certain point, it's just that it's just poetry because somebody is in the same way that like you could argue that there are people who called, you know, a, a mob violence justice. And he's like, well, right. they are calling it justice. So I guess we can't say it's not justice. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I like it's worth at least having that argument. But, yeah, that seems like a false equivalency. To me. It, you know, it um, is a false equivalency, partly because one involves like people's <laughs> lives and one involves fucking poetry, which doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. But, but also, uh, 
poetry is a is a genre and justice is an end um i don't know i don't know i think aristotle would say poetry is an end fuck aristotle <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, um, la la last you know, la a last thought on definition so we can finally get to the rest of your <laughs> yeah or or, or 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 fuck my essay um no uh you know i i i, I think a lot about um you know, you talking about being a good host and uh, not on this podcast. One of the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up, man. Uh, <laughs> um, there was a, a book I read uh, many years ago by a writer named Sarah Vaff. And um, she, she talked about artistic experiences as being analogous to, to sex. And she, she was kind of trying to discard uh, some of the sort of limited ways that we, or at least she imagined people talk about art. And she, she said, you know, like, some people like rough sex. Like, you know, there, there, we, we, there needs to be like, cause you know, there used to be this idea. I think it's completely gone now that like a, a, a work of art should never do anything to you or, you know, try and affect you or direct you in any way. Uh, cause that would be totalitarian. No, it's not. Um, nonsense. Nonsense. Right. Yeah. And, and like the, the, the fact is like, you know, all these different kinds of sex is, is can be consensual. Right. And, and the, you know, engagement with a, a work of art is, is, is almost inherently consensual, right? You can always put down the book. You know, I, I, I am a little bit fascinated and a little frustrated by the, 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 these ideologies of art um, that are based on disruption or, or whatever yeah, it may be. Yeah, yeah. They seem to me to imagine an audience that is in need of some sort of uh, kind of uh, useful harm, right? Uh, that uh, the, the, that the goal of art is to take away this certainty yeah, from yeah, your readers, yeah, yeah. and and, and there, there's something there that does feel deeply condescending to me. And what it suggests to me is that in fact the person who's going to read this is not the person who is going to be disrupted by it, uh, but another person who also believes that other people need to be disrupted by it. Uh, and so you know the 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 writer and the reader are going to come together on the page uh to kind of scoff at this other person who who uh who, who didn't know uh, yeah, and has yeah, now been yeah, disrupted yeah. by this text that they, they they're never going to read yeah. um and so that that's that's one of those places where assumptions about artistic goods uh, about artistic ends um yeah. really just seem to fall flat to me yeah um, do you want, do you want and, and, and seem unethical yeah do you want me to get us in real trouble uh now <laughs> How about you just get you in real trouble? <laughs> That's true. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go to the bathroom. I'll, insert I'll our, check in with insert the our disclaimer winding here that, that uh, Jonathan, <laughs> does, Jonathan doesn't sign on anything. I mean, I think I think like the very, very dumb and simple explanation for a lot of that. And obviously this, this you know, there are there are examples that precede this. But I think I think like at a certain point, mid late 20th century, a, a whole lot of academics really got wise to Marxism and and came to like, Marx makes a very compelling argument that the way we deal with work is alienating, that capitalism is a terminal and that there are these hor horrifying inequalities baked into the system. And, and uh, if you could change that and, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't, you well, really ought to. And then, and then a whole lofty academic, right? Well, and then uh, a lot of fucking <laughs> academics said, oh, well, I, I get that there's a problem, <laughs> But right. instead of trying to change it, why don't we just pretend that you can change it by writing uh, critical papers? And so they uh, they they abandoned they like ruined Marxism and ruined criticism <laughs> by uh, doing neither. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I have so uh, I have so I'm so much fonder of Marxism than I have than I am of Marxist criticism. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I I have a tend to try. But, but I think a lot of that, like disrupting and, di- and like dismantling. I think that's yeah. a lot of that. It's like pretending that yeah. poems and poetry criticism can uh, can save the poor. I think it's bu- bullshit. So, yeah. yeah. So, so to, well, yeah, yes, and then no. Uh, I I um, I teach with a woman whose husband is uh, does uh, custodial work at UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, according to him. Academics are, you know, as as not all. Some of them are lovely, but m- many of them are as unwilling to live out their values uh, as you would expect. Like just as most Christians, as most anybody, yeah. Professors treat them like shit. Yeah. Um, I totally know, believe that. While, while, while arguing about um, all these things, um, but no, I, 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 I sorry, I, I know you keep wanting to move on. No, I, no, I keep admiring yeah, uh, yeah. us uh, instead. I, I disagree with you a little bit about the potential for uh, poems to to to. Sh- to create political outcomes. Uh, and, and I think maybe this goes back a little bit to definitions of poems. Um, you know, I, I think different in different contexts at different times, uh, poems have had political impact. And, and I think, uh, you know, uh, so, someone with uh, Rupi Kaur's audience could, you know, shape opinions more than, you know, I mean, Political change in political opinions is is, is incredibly difficult. Um, mm. So so I'm I'm not saying that like you know an Instagram poet could suddenly make uh, you know I don't know uh, Medicare for all in, in, into something that has sure. like 85 percent approval. Right. But but I, I I do think there is that, that there can be and and there, and there sometimes is such a thing as popular poetry um, yeah. and that, that it, it it can have uh, substantial political effects. And I, I think there have even been times in America where poems have have been politically efficacious and and i and i think there are other uh other political ends that political poems can can serve beyond just uh changing mass opinion they can uh be sustaining for 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 people who are marginalized they they they, they can do they can do meaningful work in the world i would but, i would uh, never i would never say that poetry can't change people's minds mm-hmm. i think that there like there's a moment in the the stephen king book the gunslinger where there's a, there's this important duel and you can choose your way you can choose any weapon you want except a gun and, the, and one and like the old man in the in the fight chooses a cudgel, this big club, and then the young man chooses a hawk. It's an, obviously an unusual choice, and he gets some of the shit kicked out of him with the cudgel, but he also ends up winning. Where he sicks the hawk and the old man, and he, and he wins the fight. Mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe Rupa, Rupi Kaur gets us Medicare for all. If so, if so, like hats off, like great. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say that po- poetry can't have a popular effect in that way, but if you say, if you set out to say, you know what really needs to change our socioeconomic system? You know what I'm going to choose as my weapon? Literary criticism. Then fuck you. Yeah. That's useless. That's meaningless. Like what a <laughs> stupid choice. Like, I mean, again, like if a politician that you, that was like said that they were these big problems, like if, if, you know, like people who like Bernie Sanders, if Bernie Sanders had said like, we need to change the world. So I'm going to write literary criticism. People would say, you <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Get the fuck out of here, which they said anyway, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that like yeah, like do, do, maybe it can happen, but if you set out to do that, you're then you're lying to yourself. Depending on the context, depending on the moment, depending on the context. Or you're an idiot. <laughs> or okay. <laughs> yeah. I probably am. Yeah. Well, no, but but you're not trying to no, you're I'm, not trying I'm, to change I'm, the, I'm, you're not yeah, trying to change yes, your socioeconomic I, system by writing literary criticism. You're trying to you're you're not even trying to change literary criticism by writing literary criticism. You're just I mean, I'm, 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 I'm trying. It's okay. not working. You just don't believe. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. You don't. You're you don't you don't believe you'll have an effect. But I still think it's a worth worthwhile part of the conversation. Speaking of which, you did have yeah. You did have <laughs> another half of this fucking essay. Jeez, 
God, why didn't somebody cut me off? You did the, that oh. was the longest section, but no. You, well, you you we we read. We're not even going to fucking get to it, but we read a whole other essay we were going to talk about of that had to do with talking about poetry. <laughs> that one was was way longer than yours and had way way less to say. <laughs> way less. To, like that one was basically yeah we, in your face. Yeah, the way, we just briefly like Wayne Miller wrote an essay in Lit Hub in February 2021 called uh, "When Talking About Poetry Goes Horribly Wrong" or something like this, and and that essay was basically like. 70% uh, anecdotes letting you know that he used to hang out with Kieran Carson. And then like 30% <laughs> a sort of like malapropism ridden ramble about Ocean Vuong and Matthew Zapruder having it out on Instagram. So uh, we won't bother to get to that, but I'll put a link somewhere. But so your, your third imperative in your, in your essay, um, <laughs> fucking essay. your third imperative was don't treat. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's fine at this point. Cause no one's listening. Yeah. All right. So your third imperative is don't treat art as a competition. Uh, here too, the problems aren't new. Artistic prices and contests have always been absurd. They've always presented taste as objective assessment. And at least in the U.S., commercial interest is celebrations of something supposedly pure. They, they've always distributed finite resources based on questionable standards, often funneling those resources to those who already have the most, the most resources, and the most connections. You want to elaborate? I basically agree with all of that. <laughs> yeah, I think I stand by that. You know, and, and I think the other thing I say at some point, it's like, you know, ultimately at best, uh, a prize reflects the subjective opinions of one to three people uh, who, who, who may or may not have, have slept with, taught, or been married to the winner at some point. The, the, one, the one thing I'll, and, and so it's fine, like, you know, if you win a prize, be happy about winning a prize, but let's, let's stop pretending that they, they, they mean something more just because that person was um, endorsed by, the, you know, that, that group of three people were endorsed by the Pulitzer Foundation or, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, to, I totally am. Yeah. Even if you um, deserved it, you didn't get it because you deserved it. Yeah. The, 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 the only thing I'll add is I, I do link in there to uh, a study that a, a couple of writers did uh, about the poetry prize system uh, where they, they really did uh, some, some pretty extensive analysis of a lot of data. When, when do you know uh, when the study was? Pretty recently, within the past few years, let's see. Because po post poetry. Um, oh yeah, very much post. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, it came out a, maybe a year ago. Uh, it came out November eleventh, twenty twenty. Okay. Um, yeah, that's 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 really worth reading. It's it, and it's it. I, the the phrase prestige networks, I think, comes from them. Um, okay. But, yeah. uh, All right. I'll, I'll um. Well, there's a link in your essay, which I'll. Yeah, so just 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 drag yourself through my essay, and eventually you'll get to the link to the thing you actually want to read. All right. So, and then your fourth imperative is consider strangers, and and this was I know you you initially you had a slightly a slightly longer formulation of that, and I told you to make it shorter. <laughs> yes. Thank uh, you. Which I think I think you, I think was good advice, but I also think like it may that may want some elaboration. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you meant meant by that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's another statement of the obvious, really. Just, you know, social media is going to commodify our relationships in all kinds of complicated ways. Um, but we, you know, if, if we're on there sharing poems, we should try and share more things from people who not only we don't know, but who can't do anything for us. I, I made the suggestion that, you know, that it would be nice to have a, I don't know, you could have a day out of the month so, sorry, I, I, lo I lost your audio for a second. Oh, you have, you, you yeah. could have a day out of the month. Would you just start that sentence again? Yeah, where, where everybody on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is just agrees to share a poem with some sort of hashtag uh, by someone who they don't know, who can't advance their career in any way and who has no 
real power or authority. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, you can do a dead person or a living person, but like, you know, it, it, it might just make us all more cynical because then the other 30 days, we just be <laughs> more obviously not doing that. Yeah. I, like just, I, just, I just wish we could be a little more, a little more humble and a little more honest about what we're, what we're doing and what we're saying. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to bring it back to that conversation about, you know, um, the meaning of the experience of meaning and honest pleasure and the, uh, the, you know, seeing the movie in the crowded theater. I, 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 I think that's also not a bad, it's not perfect, but that's not a bad test for whether you genuinely enjoyed something. Like if you, if you can't tag the person, if like if it's a dead person, if it's, somebody, <laughs> if it's like if it's somebody who like, like you can't hashtag or tag it in any meaningful way other than just to say here's this poem, then mm-hmm. like maybe maybe like odds are you you actually enjoyed it. Like if if it suddenly if suddenly you lose all urgency to post it when you realize that mm-hmm. the person who wrote it or the person you're tagging can't in any way help you then then maybe your pleasure is is a little uh is maybe there's a little more bad faith there i'm i, I think i believe in I, I believe that more things happen in bad faith than you do in, in part because i just I, I i don't i don't think we actually know we know ourselves very well and i i think i think we're just so complicated now now, now when somebody does something that you know, impacts me or hurt, hurts, like I, all, all that goes out the window. All, all malice, and, no incompetence. You know. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, you know, we're, uh, I, I, I think we're interesting messes. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think like denial, de- denial is a, um, so seldom like a perfectly conscious equation. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. so often there's a sense, like, it's not like you're, when you're in denial, it doesn't mean that you like also carry around the conscious recognition of your denial. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a little right. bit of a, but I, th- I think like that's still denial. Like that still can be <laughs> denial. It can still be ba- like th- you can act in bad faith without necessarily knowing that you're doing so, but, but like there are hints, there are indications, you know, and like there maybe part of that is a, a tug at your conscience. Maybe part of it is a, there's a facial expression. I feel like I grew, gr- especially like growing up, there's a certain facial expression. I remember not even facial expression, like a, like a fixed tension around the eyes <laughs> that I remember like clocking in a lot of the parents who went to like the parents of kids at my school. And I really, really know like later I was like, Oh, that's denial face. You're just like, you're walking around <laughs> with this sort of standing denial. And I think a lot of poetry takes place with a, with a firm denial face in place. Given so we, I'm just going through your list of you. You sent me a good list of some things that you have disagreed with that I've said uh, <laughs> at, at your invitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, well, no, but I, I think it's great. I think it's great. Just, yeah, J- Jonathan from the beginning has been sending me emails uh, disagreeing with my episodes as they've come out or as he's as he's listened to them. Um, so, so sometimes just strings of epithets. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'll I'll, um, I'll I'll run through what I've got here in in like uh, the lightning round. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll see. So. That, Didactic poetry. Um, I think we talked kind of about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we already got that. Oh, the impossibility of truly hopeless art, which I, I think I agreed with your observation here. Do you want to say what you meant when you were talking about? Because oh, I think uh, I talked about art. Like I had the episode where I talked about hope and hopelessness. And oh yeah, and th- th- this wasn't a, this wasn't even a disagreement yeah. with you. This was uh, an amplification. You had talked about. I think you were talking about Ninety North, yeah. uh, Randall Jarrell poem, uh, and I, you know. Um, there's a there's an essay that I, I read many years ago by by Seamus Heaney, who's a, who's a wonderful critic, but kind of taking Larkin to task and, and making the argument that Larkin was uh, an inferior poet to to Yeats, which which you know may or may not be true. Uh, 
uh, for a variety uh, of reasons. Yeah. yeah. But his, his reasoning was that Larkin gives him to despair uh, where Yates doesn't. Uh, and he, 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 he really went, uh, as I remembered, he, he really went after Obad. What was interesting to me is I don't like, uh, I mean, that, that is certainly a poem that uh, is documenting and animating and, and recounting an experience of, of despair. But it's not a poem that makes me feel despair. Um, it, it's it, it's a poem that takes uh, this experience that is, is not unfamiliar to me yeah. uh, and makes it proper to language, proper to um, you know the, this kind of fundamental human medium, and 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 to the work of creating beauty and creating meaning. And and so, like, I don't want to say that you can't make uh, hopeless art, but it's really hard to do mm-hmm. um, because you're you're. The, the, it, you're engaged in an activity of bringing something into into, into human interaction uh, and and trying to share it with somebody. There, there, there's almost mm-hmm. inherently implicit in that an, an, an assumption of, of possibility, uh, an assumption that we can we can meet, and we can share, and we can have things in common. Yeah. And 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 so a poem like Ninety North becomes. Uh, or, or a poem like Obad becomes ratifying to me as someone who, you know, already begins with the experience of death as, as terrifying and, and potentially absolute and annihilating. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. That like part part of what makes it difficult, if not impossible, to, to make truly hopeless art is that there's the the art that that exists that you you made despite whatever feelings may have inspired it that and i do find that like when that is ultimately the when that is the explicit uh uh hope presented in the piece of art i i find that really unsatisfying but mm-hmm. but I, I also think maybe like the small distinction i might make with something like 90 north or obad both of which i, I love and i think i love seamus haney and uh, that thesis i find infuriating um but <laughs> w- part of what i think they offer that i find so valuable in them is is not exactly hope but is consolation i think maybe like i maybe distinguish between those two things and it's not both are there's goodness in them and there's like mm. kindness and care but it's not so much it's not so much that like here's this problem and then don't worry there'll be something good despite it or it'll get better it's like well it won't get better but i'm but i too know this and like i've here i have articulated this thing that you also feel in a way that makes you feel less alone and yeah, I agree. But the, but that also in in the meantime, uh, it, it's still worth making something. It's still worth intervening in the world. Uh, it, it, it's yeah. it's still worth it's per, yeah. It's like um, is is purpose inextricably tied to hope? Maybe, maybe so. Yeah, and it may, it may be a very short term yeah, hope. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, but I think I think I think I basically. It's, it's, you know, it's 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 not suicide. Uh, right. To, yeah. To, don't to take it don't kill yourself yet. Um, oh you you um you talked about the true self oh uh, i think you said i talked about the true self and i had no yeah no memory of doing that and then you made a description of what you sort of believed in in lieu of the true self and i thought yeah that sounded pretty right yeah i don't know what i i have no memory of talking about the true self i'm sure i did i think you i think it was Weirdly enough, you were talking about uh, the Colson Whitehead zombie book, um, mm. maybe, um, or maybe it was Nickel Poise or one of them. Anyways, oh yeah, was... so yeah, if I meant true, true self, I probably mean mostly in terms of like 
distinguishing between like layers of denial. Mm -hmm. um, right. There's a there there may not be any true self in some ultimate abiding way, but I think there are less false self. Like there's there are yeah. lies you tell about yourself, and then there's there's what's underneath that lie, which may also yeah. have layers to it. But. Yeah. Do you, do you know the? Do you, are you at all familiar with D.W. Winnicott? No. Oh, he's 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 fantastic. He's he's a he was a psychoanalyst. He was a I think he he was in that generation after Freud. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Um, but he he's he's very. Um, I say this once again as someone who has no idea what he's talking about. My sense is he, that he's he's really an outlier, um, and that he's very he, he seems to me to be much more interested in health. Uh, that you know there, mm. there, there's so much interest in illness, and he, he's really interested in health. Um, I, I think he's most famous maybe for the idea of the good enough mother. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. But, uh, but yeah, he, he has this idea that comes up in Maggie Nelson's uh, Argonauts uh, and that she uses, I, I think, to really interesting effects of um, everything being kind of harmonized. I, I can't remember. He, he, this is not how he puts it, but the, the idea of that all the components of the self uh, become harmonized. They, 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 they work in concert. When I think about the experience that people describe as, as a true self, that's, that's what I really think about it is that all of these parts that are never completely separate from each other, um, but like all of these different cross currents that, that you know, compose this uh, sort of loose constellation of, of one person, uh, they, they, they all flow in concert. It's kind of like that, that the moment when um, uh, time sort of disappears as a medium, uh, when, you, when, when you're no longer aware that there's like time and then my movement through time. Right. Is uh, this you know, some, God, something God. like when people talk about flow? Yeah, you know, Alan uh, loves to quote the line from one of Elizabeth Bishop's letters, and he uses it as the title of one of his books of essays. That perfectly uh, useless, self-forgetful self concentration. Yeah, yeah. you know, and the, the, I think in some ways the experience of the, the the self that feels truest is 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 oftentimes the one that's also the most self-forgetful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you over that. I think that sounds pretty pretty good. <laughs> and I don't think that I don't think that began as a disagreement either. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, so then. Maybe it's cold outside. It's sort of related to the didactic thing. Do you? Uh, yeah, we don't. We don't need yeah, to. Yeah, we can skip that one. Uh, it's close enough. Uh, poetry is an acquired taste. Yeah, I think I just think there's some kinds of poetry that uh, people don't like. You know, nursery rhymes to me are kind of poems, uh, are kinds of poems. And like, I, 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 you know, talking to people I've known who are yeah. parents, like oftentimes kids have a what seems like a pretty uh innate receptivity to those and an innate pleasure in, yeah, yeah. in them yeah yeah i mean sure and like classical music's an acquired taste but also my daughter has a lamb that plays twinkle twinkle little star which is <laughs> mozart i mean so right i mean i think it's a little a little bit like if i feel like if i if i walk around saying like well i've read tolstoy then like you know what's true is I've read *The Death of Ivan Illich*, which is a fucking novella. I haven't read *War and Peace* or *Anna Karenina* or *Sacrifice*, like any whatever else. Like, so I think yeah, there's there. You're sure there are kinds of poetry that are not an acquired taste. Maybe when we refer to poetry at large, there, there's sort of there probably is at some point a big bolus that you're going to need to you're going to need to practice in order to swallow. Um, yeah, if, if 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 you want to take on those things as well. Yeah, uh, I talked about Kirsch's terms. Okay, and the last one was uh, was, uh, and you you talked a little bit about avant-garde art, but you, you sort of made a distinction between free verse that is haunted by formal verse and free verse that is not. 
Here, the I don't di- think I here leaves out, I think insightful to say about. Yeah, it. you say I feel like the museum analogy, while correct, leaves out the difference in sound between free verse poets who grew up on meter and those who didn't. Yeah, you can hear those ghosts in a WCW poem in a way that you can't in most free verse poets today. I think it's probably probably pretty true. Yeah, I think that was your that was your list of uh, ninety five theses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we definitely need, still need our, we need a term for our, our boilerplate caveat, our Glomar denial for, for think pieces or whatever, <laughs> or like opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we need to figure out how to, how to refer to how to, we need a Mirandizing, you know, term for that. Uh, I think we got most of, we did at least a shitty version of covering most of what we, we set out to cover. So we, yeah. so we maximized our potential. Yeah. Any, any fights you want to pick with, with any other guests or other, or things you want to think that are uh, st- stuck in your craw, you parting shots. And I, I, I love the Brian Potter conversations. Um, except for the one I haven't listened to yet. Um, uh, that one I have mixed feelings about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's terrible skip it <laughs> uh the the, the I, I i i did the idea of um truth as a fetish did did actually stick in my in my craw i think that's only true in as much as you could say that any any human belief is, is fetishistic any, any human source of meaning is fetishistic the idea that there is something outside of outside of us that's real and that, and that we we can perceive it, even though we, we know to some extent that we can't uh, or, or that we, we misperceive it or we perceive it through a, a version that uh, makes it possible for us to move through the world. E- even, even as I um, tend to assume that, uh, as I said earlier, that the experience of meaning is meaning, I, I think part of what enables that experience is, is the belief that there's something real, that something happened and other things didn't happen, that somebody lived and somebody didn't. The idea that each human life has inherent value and significance, those seem pretty fundamental to me. Again, like I, 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 can, I can certainly imagine and even fathom a, a, a case that all of that's bullshit, but you, you kind of have to tear everything down for me to, to get to that. Um, yeah, Brian, I think in general, is, is much more of a relativist than I am. Uh, the, just if I can try to summarize, it sounds like you you would like to prescribe a definition of truth that excludes Brian's use of the word truth in a way that, that like you could almost call it a prescriptivist definition <laughs> of the truth. <laughs> it says no fetishes here. This is not this is not a game of fetishes. Two hours and seventeen minutes into the discussion, you're still a prick. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I, think, yeah, I, think, no, I, I think I agree. I think I agree that Brian's uh, <laughs> Brian, Brian's Brian. Well, that's part of what makes Brian such a good guest on the show is that he is just as much yeah, of a no, prick as I am. <laughs> more to the point, he's delightful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, my, no, my, but my I, like I, my dad's I, ideal version of this podcast would be a would be just a show hosted by Brian, Alice, and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I turn in for that. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, they should start a fraud podcast. It's ex- good. Ex- yeah. or exa- you know, you can st- you can still do all the all the labor. That's true. Um, I can I can edit and produce. Yeah. All right. That's fine. <laughs> That'll be fair. Schedule. Yeah. Very good. Well, th- thank you so much for for agreeing to come oh, thank on. Thank you. And, uh, it's yeah. It's uh, ruin your career and and yeah, waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at, at least I enjoyed ruining it.
That was my conversation with Jonathan Farmer. Again, he is the author of That Peculiar Affirmative and the editor of At Length. I will include links in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. I know this was a long one this week, but I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it, (laughs) as you could probably tell. Uh, You can reach me as always at sleerickets at gmail.com. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. (laughs) 